0: Do you invest your money strictly in stocks and bonds? If so, it's time to change that. Welcome to Approach Investing Differently with me, Stephen Rosen from Hightower Bethesda. I've been advising clients for over 20 years on how to invest in alternative investments, and I'll explain why you should dedicate a percentage of your investable assets to hedge funds, private equity, and real estate in order to maximize returns and create a more efficient investment portfolio. Now, on to the show.
1: Hedge funds may have an interesting reputation, especially with people who don't understand them but think they do. Steven Rosen knows hedge funds, and he is here to help dispel the myths and the misunderstandings. I'm Patrice Sikora, and Steven, while I really want to start with an explanation of a hedge fund, later in this podcast we do need to explore why they are so misunderstood. But okay, let's start with the definition first. What is a hedge
0: fund? So, Patrice, thanks for coming along with me again, and I appreciate the time. Looking forward to our our third podcast, and Mm -hmm. I think the first two were quite successful uh, from the feedback that we've gotten, so thank you. With respect to hedge funds and what they really are, they're traditionally investment vehicles that are very much illiquid investments which means you can't sell them on a day-to-day basis. They're traditionally utilized for sophisticated investors who are looking for opportunities to make money regardless of whether or not the market is going up or down. And For those of us who utilize them for what they are supposed to do, which is hedge out risk, it's a vehicle that should not go down as much as the market goes down when it goes down, nor should we expect it to go up as much As the market does when things go higher and that a lot of times is where the rub starts because people just don't quite understand what the true objectives of the hedge funds are
1: it's funny when they see the market going up they always say yes 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 and then when it goes down they say well what happened
0: (laughs) what happened to my investment here And, and and that is quite true and the issues that we have with hedge funds is so back in the late 90s i think the hedge fund world started to begin and try to maybe become a little bit more mature as far as having access to the high net worth investors. And that was during the dot-com rage. And many hedge funds were producing exceptionally outsized gains. And there were several hedge funds that were designed to mitigate risk, because that, again, is the genesis of what a hedge fund is supposed to do. But these hedge funds in general started to charge uh, large fees, They charge a management fee, and then they take a percent of their profits. So people view them as to being somewhat expensive. And back then, hedge funds were producing exceptionally large gains. And all of a sudden, people expected that, hey, if I'm going to go to a hedge fund, I want better than market returns when things go higher. I want better than market returns when things go lower because I'm paying these guys all sorts of fees. And so what happens is, is then you come into market cycles that we've had over the last maybe 10 or 12 years coming off of the global financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. And again, we have very good markets. The hedge funds that we've been able to have access to have done exceptionally well. But when you turn on the news or you open up a newspaper or you read a financial periodical, they continue to talk about how poorly hedge funds are doing because they're not doing what the market is doing. And the reality is, again, we're not expecting them to. There's no panacea to market volatility. You cannot expect to make more money than the market does when it goes higher. Yet- lose very little, if anything, when it goes lower, or even make money when it goes lower. It's just not feasible. And so one of the issues that we've always struggled with is what mainstream media, how they portray hedge funds to the public, which then when we start talking with clients and prospects, and it's more so with prospects at this point in time, really trying to educate them on what the objective of our hedge funds are, and really what the objectives of most hedge funds are, and what you're paying them for. And you're paying for their ability to protect money on a downside and make a good return on the upside. And if at the end of the day we get somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of the return of equities, yet we do it with a third of the risk, then we think we're achieving something pretty special.
1: Where did the idea of a hedge fund originate? Who came up with it?
0: I mean, the hedge fund started. Decades ago. You know, you really go back to probably the 60s and 70s. I'm sure there were versions, but they really, again, became very popular in the 90s. I'd say early 90s is really. Um, when they started to to build their presence, and when you take a look at some of the the top hedge funds that we are are utilizing, you know, track records for the most part are going back to the early '90s. Um, but again, I'd really say their popularity grew very much so in the mid to late '90s during the dot com blow up, because again, you had a lot of people who were making a tremendous amount of money in the late. Uh, late 90s. And then you had the really successful ones that not only made money in the late 90s, but then when everything blew up in the 2000s, we actually able to protect capital and potentially even make money during those three years of the bear market where the S&P 500 was down about 50%. And then you're off to the races from there. All right. Um, are hedge funds regulated at all? Yes, very much so. And That's been a topic of conversation probably over the last 10 to 15 years, particularly after what those who might remember is the Bernie Madoff fiasco, where he essentially had a Ponzi scheme that took tens of billions of dollars that he essentially stole from investors. Now, fortunately, a lot of that was recovered, but the fact that he was completely unregulated, the fact that he self-custodied his assets, he created his own statements, created a very large black eye for the hedge fund industry. And coming out of that, one of the things I believe, you know, the SEC looks at, and, and investors look at, and regulators look at, is separating the ability for uh, hedge funds to self-custody and make sure that they have outside prime brokers, uh, utilizing the large banks who can really verify all the trades that actually get done, outside administrators who have the ability to produce the statements, verify the documents, and and it's a very different world that we live in right now. I don't think you'd ever come across any major firm that would invest in a hedge fund that self-cleared their trades and custodied their own assets probably the largest no-no in investing at this point in time in 2022
1: and you make a very good point i think people when they think of madoff they think oh ponzi scheme ponzi scheme but it was hedge funds that he was using
0: no um he was the hedge fund itself there you go um And so that's the one thing to keep in mind. The issue that you had, though, is that you had other what are called fund of funds, where an investor might invest with one hedge fund that invested in several other hedge funds, one of them in that instance being Madoff. And so that's where it proliferated across not just people who were directly invested with Madoff, but then other companies who were invested in his fund as well, or other investors who were invested through other companies uh, that invested in them. And so again, a black eye for the industry, but one of hundreds if not thousands of hedge funds that are out there. And again, when you take a look at the warning signs that were out there for somebody like Madoff, people just brush them aside because the returns that he was getting were exceptionally strong. But when you take a look back, and listen, hindsight is always twenty twenty, But when you take a look back, and again, you bring up the idea that he was self-clearing, he was self custodying it created an opportunity for a lot of problems. But again, I I think that's one person, that's one black eye. The reality is it's a a very large industry that has had tremendous amounts of success and and has provided massive amounts of value for investors, both large and small. And that's something that we've recognized. And that's one of the reasons why it's such a large portion of what we invest as far as our clients' portfolios are concerned.
1: Now, your clients, obviously, are looking at performance. How do you measure performance?
0: So this is a great question. So when it comes to our hedge funds, we have a few different strategies, which I know we'll get into in future podcasts. But just as a broad-based scale, strategies that we look at for the most part for hedge funds are multi-strategy funds, those are generally the most conservative funds that we'll invest in. I'll talk about how we measure performance there. Then we've got private credit funds. We have we have what are called event driven funds, we have long short funds. The long short funds can be very conservative, but they can also be a little bit more on the aggressive side and maybe that's something where we will talk to a client and say, "Hey, this is going to be an equity substitute." It's not going to be one of our low-risk hedge funds. It might be someone who our goals and objectives are is to outperform the market in up and down cycles. We're willing to take on a little bit more volatility. And so if the markets go down 30%, they might go down 25. But if the markets go up 25, they may be up 40. And that's a conversation that we have um, with our clients. But that is what I would call a satellite type of strategy as it relates to hedge funds for what we talk about with our clients, our core holdings within hedge funds for our clients are in the multi-strategy space. Mm -hmm. And these are funds that are insanely diversified. There's different structures. We have some funds who will have hundreds of different trading teams, and they are all allotted a certain amount of capital we have multi-strategy funds where you generally have a four or five people who, who are in charge of the investment committee, though they've got the dozens, if not hundreds, of people who are at, you know, doing the work below them. But those funds are very, very, very specific and targeted in terms of what we're looking at from a return standpoint. In those instances, if we were to take a look at a market cycle, we're generally trying to achieve somewhere close to equity-like returns. Remember, market cycle being three, five, seven years. But what we're trying to do is get that return with bond-like volatility. And the way I try to explain this to clients and prospects is I kind of hearken us back to math class when we were all in high school and who remembers standard deviation <laughs> I hated like, it. nobody remembers or liked <laughs> standard deviation and certainly at 40 50 60 years old 70 years old they certainly in most instances don't remember it anyway so what we like to talk to clients about is just bringing them back to the conversation of standard deviation and just a little precursor for everybody or or or, or a lesson standard deviation one standard deviation Uh, event basically is supposed to occur two-thirds of the time relative to your normal, let's say, in this instance, a rate of return. So for example, if your rate of return is 10% and you have a standard deviation of five, two-thirds of the time, you're either going to be minus 5%. So you'll be at a a positive 5% return relative to your normal, or you might be 5% above the normal, which is now a a 15% return. So what we're looking at is maybe a 10% return where two thirds of the time, we're really expecting to be somewhere between plus 5% and plus 15%. And if you go to a two standard deviation event, you're in the 90 plus percentile that that's going to occur. And for our multi-strategy hedge funds in this example, we're looking at a two standard deviation event, which would mean we're basically looking for somewhere between zero and 20% returns. Wow, that's quite a swing. Okay, it is, but now let's take a look at what equities are doing. Equities have a historic return average of about 10%, yet they're doing it with somewhere between a 15 to 17% standard deviation. So that means one standard deviation event to the downside, you're now down 5%. Hmm. One standard deviation event to the upside, you're up 25%. So under most instances, under two-thirds of the times, your equity returns are going to be somewhere between minus five to plus 25, whereas that same multi-strategy hedge fund is going to be between positive five and positive 15. They both net out at around 10% over the course of a market cycle. So what would you rather own? Something that's up 10% more consistently, or something that's up 10% with a lot more volatility? And now- Let's take a look at what happens in a a large bull market, but more importantly, a large decline. And this is where the hedge funds really start to show their value. Because if you have a market that's down 20%, that's a two-standard deviation event. Well, not to get technical, but we said a two-standard deviation event for a multi-strategy hedge fund puts you at zero. So now I've got equity markets that are down 20% and I've got my hedge funds that are down zero. Why would you not want that? Really? really? So when we take a look at the first quarter of 2020, when COVID hit, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Markets were down 20, 22% through the quarter. Most of our multi-strategy hedge funds were relatively flat. Some made a little bit, some might have lost a little bit, but all relatively in in, in the same ballpark. And now all of a sudden, the world's going to hell in a handbasket markets are down 20 plus percent and people who only have stocks and bonds are losing their minds because here we go again
1: mm-hmm.
0: here's another down downswing here's i'm going to lose all my money again and then you get people who panic all right and then they sell at the wrong time and they never get back in at the same time or they're just under a whole lot of stress combined with everything else that was going on in the world at that point in time with lockdowns and quarantines and et cetera. But it just creates an emotional issue and you start making irrational decisions. And what we like about the hedge funds is they allow our clients to stay grounded because all of a sudden you've got a large chunk of your portfolio that is very stable. And now all of a sudden you can step back from everything that's going on and you can start looking at saying, okay, I know I'm supposed to buy the dips. Now I can because I haven't just lost 20% of my money or when markets go down 40%, I haven't lost 40% of my money. And it's a very, very, very different um, dynamic. And that's why the utilization of the multi-strategy hedge funds for us, which are really designed to be exceptionally low volatility, very steady, very consistent, really not losing money in any market cycle. That's not saying they can't lose money in market cycles, but in general, they're, they they haven't shown that and they really have shown to, to do exceptionally well even when you take a look at calendar years with very minimal losses. And so what you're doing is you're getting great downside protection for giving up the big swings to the upside.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and this this is where the rub is. Because news media, and this is where we talked what's about, what, why is there this massive misunderstanding? And this massive misunderstanding comes from the fact that the truth of the matter is markets go up more often than they go down. But when they go down, they go down large and they go down quickly. And everybody's right? in a tizzy about it. And everyone's in a tizzy. And so what happens is, is everybody forgets the down days and the down months and the down years when everything is working and going really <laughs> well and 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 2021 for example was an amazing year for for hedge fund analysis okay particularly in the multi strategy space and I'll tell you why they did exactly what you wanted them to do they actually even outperformed the market so to speak but you had to take a look at the full calendar year because we had a very we, we we pretty much had a world of two markets in, in well, it's not twenty twenty two, twenty not twenty twenty one, in twenty twenty, the COVID year. All right. So the first quarter we talked about equity markets being down somewhere around 20% right. for the quarter. All right. Hedge funds, we said these multi-strategy funds were relatively flat. Well, from April first to December 31st, equity markets were up 50%. Massive rally they ended up being up about 17 or 18% for the year. Well, our hedge funds, our multi-strategy hedge funds, they were mainly only up maybe about 20 to 25% during that same time frame. So, oh my god. Look at this. The market's up 50% from April 1st to December 31st and hedge funds were only up 20 to 25%. Like why am I paying these guys a dollar to manage my money? Because you didn't lose. Okay, exactly. So now when you take a look at the calendar year and you say the first quarter equities were down 20, 22%, then they rallied almost 50%, and that puts you up 17, 18, 19, 20% for the year, your hedge funds, multi-strategy, relatively flat for the first quarter, and then up 20, 25%. So now they actually outperform the market for the year with a lot less stress. But yet from April 1st to December 31st, they drastically underperformed. And that is what the news media picks up on. They don't really talk about the full year, though some might have. They focus on the fact that markets were up 50% and the multi-strategy funds were only up 20 to 25. Not discounting the math, Okay. So here's the math. And this is why we spend so much time educating prospects and educating clients because it is simple math. So let's come back. Equity markets average 10%. They went up 50%. That is a little over a 2% standard deviation. Again, 10 plus 17 is 27, plus 17 uh, is 44, and we went up 50. So we went up a little more than 2.5%. Okay, now let's take a look at what our multi-strategy hedge funds are supposed to do. They're at 10. One standard deviation puts you to 15. Two puts you to 20. Two and a half puts you into the 22 range. Oh my God, they did exactly what they're supposed to do. And as soon as you explain that to clients and show them and get them to understand and educate them and prospects as well, all of a sudden their mindset changes on whether or not this is a successful strategy. So it's just about understanding what your expectations are supposed to be. And the issue that we have is that most people are not educated and they're not supposed to be. They're getting the vast majority of their hedge fund news from things they read or other podcasts, maybe, or uh, financial periodicals or CNBC, whatever you want to line up. That's where they're getting their information. And the information that they get is they're expensive and they don't outperform the market. Again, they're not supposed to.
1: Who is a good client for a hedge fund?
0: So, in today's world, pretty much almost anybody. So when you take a look at where hedge funds started, they started off with exceptionally high minimums where you needed to go direct to the hedge fund itself. And when I say you know large minimums, you're talking about half a million to a million dollars minimum, sometimes even more. And so when that happens, there were requirements that were laid out For the investors. Investors needed to be what are called qualified purchasers, which means you have to have investable assets of over $5 million. Now, many of the hedge funds that we utilize are still requiring qualified purchasers, but there's been a lot of development in the alternatives world, whereby you don't really go direct to any of these hedge funds anymore. There are companies that create conduit vehicles that you invest through, and therefore the minimums have dropped dramatically, sometimes $50,000, most of the times, a minimum of $100,000. So it, it opens up a whole world for a lot of people from an investment standpoint, whereby they don't have to commit so much money to one investment. You still need to be a qualified purchaser so you still really need five million dollars in investable assets there are some strategies that allow you to be what's called a qualified client or accredited investor qualified client has to have two million dollars of investable assets An accredited investor, I think, is a million um, or maybe a $200,000 income level. So there's ways to access alternatives in different formats, depending upon one's investable assets and one's net worth. But again, it's about how do you understand what you're buying, why are you buying it, and what what, what are your expectations from that particular fund? Because that drives whether or not you're going to hold on to it. Or you're going to see the market go up 20% in a year, you're up 10 or 15, and you say, well, why am I paying these guys a fee? I'm out. And next thing you know, the markets are down 30, and those guys were flat, and they did exactly what you wanted.
1: With everything that's happening in the world now, an event-driven fund, or or do they pop up? I'm thinking specifically of the situation in Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia, Mm -hmm. uncertainty in the markets, uncertainty economically around the world now because of this. Does a, can a hedge fund just pop up, or does it take a long time to get it going if it's going to be based on an event?
0: So when I say event-driven, you you could have funds that might trade based upon political events, but traditionally an event-driven fund, and and we'll talk about the specifics of some of these funds, I think, in a future podcast. But an event-driven fund is more so, I have company A that we're looking to invest in, and this company has multiple subsidiaries inside of it. And I'm an investor, and I think that they should be spinning out part of their business. Essentially, the the investors will look at it and say, you know what, subsidiary A plus B plus C is worth a lot more than what the company is currently trading at. And so, what they will do is they will engage with management of that company. In an effort to show them the value and maybe potentially get them to spin off one of their uh, subsidiaries to try to unlock value. So when we talk about events, we're talking about an event as it's related to an actual company um, and how you unlock some value in terms of how management is running that company. And that's just one example of different event strategies that are out there, but that's the general thesis of it. And with respect to hedge funds, it's very important to know any Tom, Dick, and Harry can can roll up and create a hedge fund if you register it and and and, and do that. Something that we would really <laughs> suggest people avoid. Uh, the hedge funds that we work with are forget the fact that they are exceptionally well vetted from third parties on top of the research and due diligence we do. We're really looking at hedge funds that have. 10 plus year track records um multi-billions of dollars under management have been vetted by large institutions and endowments across the country if not the world you don't want to just invest with anybody willy-nilly and that's not necessarily because things can go awry it's just that the cream rises to the crop and for those who do read the news. You'll see periodically, there's a, I don't know, probably, this is that four or five years ago, CalPERS, which is California, yeah. you know, teachers' public pension, public employees and, yeah. and Calsters, and, and, and all those, okay? there was They basically came out with the story that we're getting rid of our hedge funds, okay? And that was like a big, big, big headline story that they were selling billions of dollars and getting out of hedge funds. Well, all right, now let's actually read what they're doing and let's actually scratch the surface. And lo and behold, you see that CalPERS in what they call their hedge fund bucket had, I think it was literally less than 1% of their overall portfolio in it. In it was sprinkled a handful of small positions. And keep in mind, when I say small positions, you were actually talking about maybe a few million dollars. In a specific fund, and you're talking about I don't know how big Calpers is at this point in time. Yeah, well, it's one 50, of the biggest, 100 billion yeah. dollars, whatever the number is. Why do you have an investment for a million dollars when you're a 50 plus billion dollar, 100 billion dollar investment fund? It, it just makes no sense. So when you take a look at a, a size of a fund like a Calpers that's 50 100 billion dollars, the issues that they have is that they're top tier funds that. We all want to access, have taken in tremendous amounts of capital over the years. Uh, they've grown their own assets from performance. And so now, unfortunately, you find a lot of the top tier funds being exceptionally capacity constrained. And if you have an investment policy that requires you to invest a certain amount of money in a specific area, you have to put that money to work. And if you can't go to fund tier A, then you go down to fund tier B. Then you end up at C, and that's a little bit of the issue that some of these insanely large um, pensions and endowments come across, and then you have a headline that CalPERS is getting rid of hedge funds, when in reality, it was really a very minor position. They classify the bulk of their multi-strategy hedge funds in a very different line item than hedge funds. And when you take a look at what they are actually getting out of, it was nothing that anybody would have wanted to own. And I can assure you that the tier A multi-strategy hedge funds that we all want to own are not being eliminated in (laughs) any way, shape, or form. But again, huge headlines, stories for days, clients emailing articles, and it's just a lack of understanding on the investor's point. It's a lack of understanding, and it's really disappointing on the media, point where they really don't take a look and see exactly what is going on. Now, that's not to say that we sometimes don't have issues with capacity because we do. But fortunately for us, as a billion and a half dollar RIA, dedicating every year 10, 20, 30 million dollars to alternative investments through private equity, real estate, multi strategy hedge funds, satellite positions. We don't have the restrictive problems that those large pension funds do. We're able to get enough capacity every single year with the funds that we want to invest in. And if for some reason we don't have capacity, We're going to sit down with our clients or we're going to say we're going to be patient and we're going to wait until we get the capacity because we don't have a dictum that says we have to put X amount of dollars to work every second of every day. And our clients understand that and our prospects understand that and everybody respects it because at the end of the day, we just want the best performance over the course of a period of time taking on the least amount of risk.
1: Stephen, What topic do you want to talk about in the next podcast? Because this is fascinating. We could keep going, but we are running out of
0: time, I'm afraid. (laughs) We could keep going. And I think probably the next time around, we'll dig a little bit deeper into some of the satellite positions and understanding how we construct portfolios for clients. I think it's very important to understand what, again, the objectives are of each of the different segments of the hedge fund world. Uh, It's not all multi strategy, uh, but it's also not all funds that we expect to outperform equity markets and, you know, when they're going higher and outperform them when they go lower, because that just doesn't exist. Um, But again, as I said, we do have different positions as our clients' portfolios grow. And there's also opportunities sometimes where tactically we will look. To do things. Um, and we can talk about that. things like private credit. There's a time and a place for that. Some will say there's always a time for a place. Maybe I'll agree with that. But there's other times where you really want to try to focus on, on on taking opportunity on credit investments that the average person, and or average mutual fund just can't get access to um, and when you have times of stress you have bankruptcies you have recessions things of that nature um, there's opportunities to be very tactical with how you can deploy some of your money uh, in an illiquid format and so we can kind of touch on the different segments of, of the hedge fund markets before i know in future episodes uh, we're going to start talking about private real estate and private equity
1: All right. I look forward to that. Now, how can listeners reach you? Because I'm sure lots of people are saying, what about this?
0: So we always suggest the first place to do is head to our website, which is www.hightowerbethesda.com. And there you can start to take a look at exactly what our philosophies are. We've got white papers on there, links to our various podcasts that we do. And then you can reach out from us uh, from that standpoint. And then we'll always reach back out as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, You can follow us um, on Twitter. Uh, You can follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, whether me personally, Steven Rosen, or you follow The Firm at High Tower Bethesda, uh, where we'll consistently post, um, whether they be our quarterly updates, blog posts, uh, and of course, uh, new podcasts.
1: Exactly. So follow Approach Investing Differently. That is Steven's podcast. You're listening to it now. Follow it. That way you'll know when the ne- next one is ready for you, when it's available. And share with colleagues and friends. They will find this very interesting. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later.
0: Thank you for listening to Approach Investing Differently. Don't forget to follow the podcast to be notified whenever a new episode is released.
2: Hightower Bethesda is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through High Tower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through High Tower Securities LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. High Tower Bethesda and High Tower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this document. High Tower Bethesda and High Tower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representation or warranties express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of of the information or for the statements or errors or admissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This document and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the author's and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to an entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisor for related questions.